you know, I say this every week, but I wish I remembered to get you a small cup for the poor. Yes, because <laughs> that is a big cup. Because as we know, with big cups comes big amounts of knowledge. And on that note, welcome back to another episode of Controllers and Couches. Um, I'm Full Metal Chicken. <laughs> Forget who you are. Yes. I'm Steph. Hello everyone, or welcome back. And uh, just just quickly, in case anyone has actually popped over to my channel, um, you will have noticed that I've kind of been spamming the whole Baby Yoda meme. Baby Yoda. So, uh, Yoda. yes. So, that is just because uh, just I haven't had much downtime. So, I've just been throwing them out. So, I've got Lego in the wings. I've got the kits. It's a happening. It's a happening. So... For any, I've noticed a lot of people are unsubscribing because I think I'm, You're I'm not doing Lego. I'm just, you know, spamming Baby Yoda. It's it's more of a laugh just for downtime to keep some uh, footage coming in. But the main focus is to get these builds and the, re you, the reviews. Are, are you going to like start planning? Because yeah. you have a lot of kits now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to because as I explained in the last video, it takes a lot of time to edit these yeah. and get them going because at the end of the day, I don't want to be putting And also to build. I know. Like, you have a lot of large kits at the moment that you're really excited yeah. about. And I don't want to put up crap content. Oh. So that's, <laughs> you know, too late on that. But um, yeah, so that was just the quick heads up that I wanted to give. But uh, yeah, so. How are you doing? Apart from life. that, oh, just trying to get through Christmas and the New Year. It has been hectic. It has been flat out like a lizard drinking. It has been that quick, you know. We should mention that when we record this, it's New Year's Eve for yes. us, like three thirty p.m. You're yes. going to work, and you've got some bumper shifts. Yeah. So, so. I was like, ah, oh, I'm not going to pester you when you're only going to get like three hours sleep in yeah. the next few days. So I was like, hey. Yeah, it looks like mind? a three hour three hour sleep in the next forty eight hours. <laughs> Lucky, I've been really good at pre like researching our topics because I was like, hmm, we clean our house today. Yep. So, uh, yeah, fun games. Because um, our landlord was supposed to come because... Um, weather yesterday was... Busted one of our... Blinds. Outside. Um, and only because, I suppose, 34k winds and, and fires. like 40 and, degree heat yeah. in the last couple of days. We just wanted to let him know, so... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, figured, you know, not really that it needed tidying. And, like, we jerry-rigged it so that way it wouldn't bust into the window. Because the last thing you need is glass it. coming into the house. Especially, like, with the floofs, like... Yeah. I would rage. Well, I don't really want rabbits eating glass. I mean... Yeah, not a good thing. But yeah, uh, on the other side, book updates. What have oh, we been what reading? What have I been reading? I honestly don't know. Um, today I'm going to finish the um, most recent book that's out in the Jack... Not Jack Reacher. Not Jack... Ry Captain Jack West Jr. You know, by uh, Matthew Riley. Yep. I've got like uh, just under three hours left of that to go. Um, and then I also have an audio book, which is book two in the Dividing Eden series. It's more of a YA kind of thing, but I'm almost halfway through that. So, um, because it's an ebook, um, I'm hoping to get through that. And so that way, tomorrow, I start fresh, you know? Yep. Nothing sitting there in my currently reading pile. I'm 162 books at the moment read is my goal of 160. Do you want some reading stats? Sure. So obviously it's not going to be as up to date um, as it's, uh, it just happens to be taking a while. Don't mind me. Well, while you're looking, yep. I haven't really read much, but I did read into a book called Cheese for Dummies. 
um, because I was looking at maybe potentially... Is this because that person had a go at you? Yeah, pretty much. Can you tell the story? Um, someone had a go at me because they didn't think I knew anything about cheese. No, but give us the situation where you like asking for a specific cheese, or you there looking at the cheese and then someone had a go at you. I was looking at the cheese and they had a go at me. They said, you know, you look like a more processed cheese kind of person. Rude. Um, and then they said, why don't you, because obviously processed cheese is crap. Why would you even bother? It's Are we talking about the crow? Unless, you know, that's what I remember being a kid in that. I mean, obviously it's get. cheap, but it's just the plasticky cheese, processed cheese is, is I'm not... I'm saying it's best for you, but I'm saying for some people. Some people I remember being the, a kid, that was the only the, thing. It's the affordable thing. And at the end of the day, sure, you know, if that's what you can afford, go for it. No, not going to have a go. At the end of the day, if I'm sitting there looking, you know, at Stilton and Camembert and Brie... I'm obviously looking for a style of cheese that suits... The higher end of So, cheese. obviously, I've noticed that people are going to judge you based on what, you know, cheese you actually buy suddenly. However, being told I should... I look like a kind of person that would go for processed cheese kind of made me laugh because then it's a case of, okay, well, you know, retaliation time and start ramming the cheese knowledge... Um, back at them, to mm -hmm. which they kind of caved and realised they'd kind of opened the wrong door because the floodgates kind of unleashed. But it was more in the fact that I'm looking at it because maybe down the track, making my own cheese would be um, an interesting thing to do because doing microbiology, I understand the bacterial culture side. So it'd be I have a friend that's doing it right now. Yeah. And um, she was talking about it because she started literally like three weeks ago. And apparently all you need is like a little wine cooler or a mini fridge. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Exactly. Like you run your curd down, you put some weight on it, and yeah. she's good to go. Like you obviously have to age it. But the thing with some of these cheeses, and especially like the craft slice cheese that everyone remembers, how wasteful are they in terms of packaging? Like each slice... Yeah. Individually wrapped, and they have to do that because it's like it melts. Yeah, and instantly. It's it's interesting too because I've had people say to me, "Oh, you know, do you have bacteria-free yogurt? Or can you get bacteria-free cheese? Can you, you can't get, get you bacteria-free yogurt. It's physically yogurt, not right? really, you know, feasible. And also too, when you start telling people that you have a microbiome, you are actually made up of bacteria, they, they start freaking, freaking out. out. Um, but it's interesting because obviously Streptococcus thermophilus, which is one of my favorite bacteria, purely because they can use it to test whether an autoclave sequence has run properly, mm -hmm. can also be used to make cheese. Um, and for instance, Streptococcus thermophilus or Streptococcus salivarius um, species is a thermophilus, which is used in making mozzarella. So... They have uh, applications. Yeah. People don't know that it's involved. People don't know that yeast is... Uh, it's obviously not a bacteria, but it's a thing. People are like, oh, it's yeast. It's like, it's obviously alive. Yeah. How do you think you're getting oxygen in there to make bubbles or, you know, to Break get the down. carbon dioxide to make bubbles in your bread? And then people are like, no, that's not right. It's just a chemical. And okay. It, it makes me laugh. So that's one thing I've sort of been looking into. I remember used to freaking my mum and she'd be like... Oh, you know, she thinks that by cooking something, like, she's like, oh, the bacteria is dead, or the germs are dead. 
And I'm like, yeah, they're dead, but they don't go anywhere. Like, you're still eating them. Yeah. They're inert, but you're eating. It's like eating a dead body, but it's obviously a microorganism. She's like, no, that's not right. It's like it's not the 1500s where you just think that a cell sprouts out of nothing. Yeah. So, the question is, do I go for the brie kind of cheese, or do I go for like a heavy duty gorgonzola? How about you try simple? Keep it simple. Gorgonzola, it is. And I tell you what, if I do manage to do this, not only will you be able to listen to the podcast about the cheese, (laughs) you will also be able to smell it upon download. All right, we should get a move on. Um, Any gaming for you that's new? Um, Let's see. What gaming have I been doing? Uh, I've just been literally playing, uh, uh, as in playing. Screeching. Uh, uh, screeching. Uh, yes, there's been modern screeching and modern, morph- modern warfare, yeah. So, essentially, yeah. Um, I finally sh- got over that level that was giving me dire grief. Nice. In Gardenscapes, like 1,300 and something, I think. Cool beans. So, yeah. All right, podcast podcast time. Podcast time. <laughs> so, congratulations. You've won a free, free podcast. If you listen within the next 15 minutes, you will also receive a free set of steak knives. All right. Um, we're doing quiz time. Yeah. Oh, also, you had to mention the reason oh. why we're doing this particular quiz. We're getting to it straight after we do the quiz and one other thing. But okay. uh, we t- we watched you season two, literally in eight hours yeah. yesterday. So amazing! All right. So based on that, I found this quiz, and it's time to find out which female character from you matches your personality. Yay! So first question is choose one, and it's a book. It's a copy of Milk and Honey by Rupi Kaur. Then there's some chick on her iPhone, but the picture says it's a Samsung Galaxy Android smartphone. But I can tell you, I know what an iPhone looks like. Then there's a pair of gold-coloured framed hippie sunglasses on white surface. Like aviators, but more hippie. And then there's a sandwich with boiled egg with a bit of avo and some spinach. Well, I'm going to go for the bottom one. I haven't finished. Oh, sorry. There's a person using a MacBook Pro. And there's also a sorted colour clothes lot, which is like t-shirts, jumpers, and really fall-scented clothing. Go for it, fam. Yeah, I'm going to go for the computer because typey-typey. I was going to go for the computer too, but then I'm thinking my phone could, in dire straits, your phone is more useful than a laptop. So I'm going to go for the phone. I'm going to go um, typey-typey. You go for that. Typey-typey. What colour would you go? There's um, some kind of... Pink fluffy blanket looking thing. Yeah. Read the label. This makes such a whimsical smartphone wallpaper when it is rotated vertically. Don't... You want to snuggle right into this soft and fluffy image? No. No, I do not. It's like fairy floss, but it's like a faux fairy. Yeah. Faux fairy floss. And then we have a pair of white lace-up shoes on a red background. Uh, orangey, fiery background with no label. Then we've got some green leaves, which says green indoor grass. But <laughs> you can tell it's not indoor. <laughs> then we've got uh, dark blue to purple gradient, which looks like blue. And then we've got white clouds and blue skies. With an Instagram filter chucked over it, but that's a different story. Yeah. I'm going to go for the sneakers on the red background. I like the green leaves, so I'm going to go the green. What would you prefer to do on a Saturday night? Hit the cinemas, what looks like to be a drive. Uh, people swimming in a pool, it looks like at the beach, but like a beach party. Uh, person slicing green vegetable. So I'm guessing entertaining, like having friends over and eating. Then there's what looks to be going out for drinks. Or there's a microphone, which I assume means karaoke or singing. I'm going to go for drive. Yep. 
I'm going to go for cinema. Watching movies. Uh, where would you want to live? Uh, California, uh, London, do, 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 uh, Paris, uh, welcome to Paris, um, Bali, Bali, uh, yep. Then we have Tokyo or Spain. Espanol. And uh, I'm going to go for London land. Yeah, MI6 land. What bedroom would you want? Uh, white bed sheet and it looks like a really modern day industrial kind of setup. Uh, a white bedding set that looks a little more kind of low-key, relaxed. Lot nice floaty curtains. Then there's like ultra minimal, not really minimalist, but... It's like grey, but all white. Nice projector on the ceiling. Then what looks to be a bedroom containing various items. But this is like a brown flowy curtains with wooden walls and a really nice comfy bed. And I like those pillows right at the head, like where the headboard would be. And then there's like the blue dream room. That looks kind of like you'd find in an ocean yeah. mansion. Blue room looks cool. And then there's like a really... Both chic looking one with like bedding, a stripy, a lot of like art deco pillows and some plantsies. But I'm gonna go for the um, the bedroom with the wooden walls and floors. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I would go for the blue one. Okay. The blue one looks cool. Okay, what's your dream job? Uh, journalist, singer, fashion designer, restaurant owner, director, author. Astronaut. No, astronaut's not on the list, thanks. Oh, so you can't get the astronaut? No. Okay, well, I'll go an author so then I can write about being an astronaut. I would go author as well. Okay, I am Guinevere Beck. Are you kidding me? So am I. How does this happen? Yeah. But we selected two different things, th- like three different things. Yeah, so you're an we introvert. We almost selected everything different yeah. this time. Mm. So you're an introvert who's caring and romantic. You're sometimes unsure about life and relationships. And you're trying your best to fit into society. And Beck is the first, is the girlfriend in season one. If yeah. Trigger alert! Trigger alert! <laughs> no spoilers. All right. Before we head into um, our Netflix watches of the week, um, I saw one movie this week, and I would like to point out that it wasn't me. I was coerced into doing it. And I specifically, I got a call from my mother um, a couple of days after New Year's on Saturday. And she was like, oh, we should go watch Cats. And I'm like, but the reviews say it's terrible. She's like, oh, but you know what it's like. Some people don't actually, you know, who shouldn't see those kinds of movies, watch those movies, and then they give it bad reviews. Maybe it's just really good. And the people who watched it, you know, didn't really like it because she has seen the musical decades ago when it was in Melbourne and so I said to her all right if that's what you desperately want to do and I sent her all these and my brother like all these reviews and stuff but you know they wanted to go see it I before I go into what kind of shit show right I would like to point out that thus far they've lost 70 million dollars because it's only drawn 38.3 million dollars globally so far against their budget yeah that's bad um, and it's essentially a box office flop. Oh, jeez. Now, I made some quick notes upon leaving the theatre, alright? So if anyone's interested, my rating is 2 out of 10. And trust me when I say 
I'm grading this fairly because my mother, who was dead set excited to go see this, she awarded this a 1 out of 10. So, <clears throat> the first thing you're going to really notice is that the shoddy camera work in the first five minutes is going to make you nauseous. And I'm not someone who gets nauseous very quickly or at all watching kind of camera work and panning and that stuff. But it literally looked like a four-year-old was chasing them around with a handy cam. Right. That's what it was like. And for the first five minutes, I legitimately thought, and I'm not being dis I'm not being disrespectful, but I thought I was watching a satanic chanting ritual occur. I, when you watch it, if you watch it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And you know how they made them, in quotation marks, animalistic, but they didn't. They're still quite humanoid, for lack of a better term. Yep. Jason Derulo and his two backup dancers were wearing fucking shiny shoes. Silver shiny shoes. I don't understand why that was happening. And then we had Jennifer Hudson, who I love as an artist, and she was literally drooling out, you know, snot coming out of her nose into her mouth for every scene she was on Great. the movie, right? And so I get that they were trying to make her all sad and broken, but, like, I didn't need to see that. Give the girl a tissue. It's not like she wasn't wearing clothing. Yeah. Also, you could take a shot game for the faces not being... You know how they said you are the actors' faces on yeah. top? They weren't always aligned. Oh, great. So you could, that could be a shot game, when you like a drinking game. And um, Judy Dench kept breaking the fourth wall and talking to... And at the end of the movie, she tells you how to take care of your cat, if you have a cat, in like this really creepy kind of way. And that really annoyed me, and I just it makes me uncomfortable. And I'd also like to point out that whilst I don't give my floofs uh, catnip, Catnip is not a neurotoxin. No. That's all I want to say about that. And if you're asking me, if you're sitting there listening to this on your way, your morning commute to work, and you're saying, Stephanie, it couldn't possibly be that bad. Let me tell you, six people left the theatre, and there were only 15 of us in the theatre when we watched the movie. Right? Gee. Six people left 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah, that's not good for a movie. There was a woman who was there with her husband. She was dead set excited to see this movie. She pulled out her phone. That's how pissed off she was. She couldn't watch it. And then she was like, let's just go. And then the reason why I know is because they were sitting right next to me. And they were out of there. So, you know, when you know, you know. And so if you're questioning if the, if the reviews are legitimate or not, is it actually that terrible? Yes. Yes, it is. And if you're going to watch it just for how terrible it is, I implore you to think about it if that's something you really want to do because it's a two-hour, 20-minute movie. And trust me, you feel every single second of it. But if you've got some downtime, 15, 20 bucks to spare, and you want to tear it apart later with your friends, okay. Yeah, yeah that uh, doesn't sound like a movie I'll be going to see. I'll be passing on that. Thank you All very right. much. Uh, we finished the last episode of Season 1 of The Mandalorian. Yep. I Hold think on. it was a massive waste of time. Honestly... I love Baby Yoda. I love the Baby Yoda content that's coming out of it. But they went a different way as to what I was thinking. They could have dragged it out for more. I was expecting them to have people that were in this new trilogy in there. Apparently they're doing that next season. Season two. So. Yeah. Or would you rate it out of ten if you had to? That episode, I'd probably... No, the whole season. Whole is season? Whole. The whole season. I'd probably get maybe a seven and a half out of ten. Maybe You're eight. generous. I would have given it a five. Yeah. Like, I'm still bitter about Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, that kind of killed it. Still bitter. And my brother was like, oh, 
it couldn't have possibly been that bad. And it's like everything we thought we knew about Force Law is a lie. It's all gone. Um, so you, season two, hit us with your thoughts. Non-spoilery, of course. Um, the books aren't always like the books you want to get when you're looking for books. Did not expect those kind of books to be those kind of books. Honestly, the twist at the end. The last two episodes have you at the edge of your seat. Yeah. Um... We watched it all in one day because it was like 43 degrees yesterday when you did something to do. Um, but oh, I don't like it any more or less than season one. I think it's like it, it held its ground. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it all the way that the end, end, end of the last, like the last 40 seconds of this season went. into Like I don't want to spoil it, but I don't know if I can go through it all again. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. For, it starts to get a bit repetitive. Like, why not just do what they did with Gone Girl? Because it's very Gone Girly, And just leave it where it is. And no. you're left with thinking. No, they wanted to uh, take yeah. it, you know, by the horns. And I think season three is going to open up a few more eyes, personally. Yeah. All right, weekly news. Weekly news. Weekly news. Do you have anything you want to add before I mm. don't shut up? No, I'm just... Essentially prepping for a long week. Okay. Um, one thing I, we wanted to mention was pretty much continuation of Aussie bushfires. Yeah. Uh, apparently there are several people, apparently four in Victoria and three in New South Wales that are still accounting for. We have more fires dying. Yeah, which uh, is really sad. Getting really bad smoke inhalation, needing to be rescued. Apparently the Victorian Premier has requested military support, so... Good luck to everyone. Um, there was a fire like near us. We actually got a little bit panicked yesterday, but you know, it, it sucks and there's nothing you can do. And that's the point. It's like only anyone, you notice how the media didn't give a shit, especially Victorian, until it hit, in quotation marks, the suburbs. Yeah, and then it was a case of, oh, we better deal with and this now. And now we have to have an update every five seconds because, you know, city people. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention, if that's okay, is um, something that I heard for the first time uh, when they were doing the... You know how we watched on Facebook Live? The, yep. um When they were talking about, you know, everyone in Gippsland had to evacuate 48 hours ago because of the fires that were going to get um, locked in, essentially. Um, apparently, there's this uh, find, register find reunite... Um, setting at Red Cross and the address is register.redcross.org.au but the website will be in our show notes and so the idea is when you're I don't know how they're planning on making it work because if you're running what happens if there's no network connection or whatever but I guess it's worth just sharing in the odd case anyone needs it or wants to keep it in the back of their mind for family or whatever or if you're traveling but the idea is is if there's a fire in a specific area you would go in and you would register yourself, and so you'd say that, look, I've left this region, and you can... I haven't done it, because I don't want to make a profile for fucking nothing, because it's obviously uh, legit. But if you follow the... So you register, and you click on the link, and then it says... the It's a table, and it's got um, active emergencies, and the first column is the area or the uh, fire name. So, for example, if it's... Um, at the south coast of New South Wales bushfires, 
they have their own link. If it's the East Gippsland bushfires, they have their own link. And then the next column is the event location. So like New South Wales or Victoria or South Australia. Then the next column is the event date. And then following that, there's the action. So you can register and say that you're one of those people who's migrating, for lack of a better term. Or if you have family that you're hoping have already registered and you want to track them and see how they're doing, you can click find. Yeah. Um, so if anyone needs any of that, again, that website is register.redcross.org.au or it will be in our show notes. Yep, they will. So I figure it's kind of important. I haven't heard anything new about the Whittlesea CFA fire truck or anything like that. Um, they haven't updated us on anything so i'm guessing it hasn't been found but they also haven't told us why they stopped donations and with all the fires happening we didn't really travel up in the heat to apparently there's been cases of people actually stealing funds so really that's absolutely disgusting that's like a double whammy bullshit so people are actually losing their lives their properties who are these are cfa firefighters and yeah people are stealing the the donations People are, I'm sorry, but people are absolute assholes. Like, and that's what, as much as I feel terrible every time someone says to me, Oh, here, would you like to donate? Would you like to donate? And I fucking hate how people at stores do it. And they're not holding anything specific, like a tin or anything that you know is going to be cut open by the actual charity, if that makes sense. And so you're like, you could be pocketing that money for all I know. I would rather donate it to the actual organisation or, in lack of a better term, to the people who actually need it. Yeah. So that's just me. No, no, I agree. Because, uh, yeah, it's better to go straight to the source. Um, and even then, like, you need to be careful. For example, Salvo's absolute racist homophobes. Uh, who else is there? Red Cross, apparently people who do the donations, not everyone, I'm not saying everyone does it, but apparently a few people take pickpocket for lack of a better term. Sorry, I have to cough. And it's just, <coughs> you know, pretty low to be doing that. Extremely low. Why? There's no, no people point. People just don't care. All right, so we're ready to launch into today's topic. Yep. This one is something uh, a little bit different. We're delving a little bit into true crime, for lack of a better term. It's not really true crime but we shall get... Oh, my God, sorry. Can we... I'm going to have to get a, a lozenge. A lozenger. So, a yes. A um, Yeah, lozenges are, are helpful for all sorts of, uh, you know, things. Especially the Coffee fact that, oddities. you know. Did you know that the word lozenge comes from the old French word lozenge, meaning diamond shape? Um, and essentially it was a, a shape that dates back to the early 14th century. And uh, someone during the 1520s um, started to refer to the lozenge as a tablet of medicine, uh, which means it's going to be held in the mouth and dissolved. So there you go. You've learned something about a lozenge. Alrighty. So today we're talking about the disappearance of Tanya Ryder. Um, In terms of references, the way I found out about this story was the True Crime Crime Junkie um, podcast episode a couple of months back. And that introduced me to Tanya's story. And then a couple of weeks ago, I ended up purchasing the ebook without, and it's called um, Missing Without a Trace Eight Days of Horror. And I'll get into the book a bit later. So I did take some information and the majority from her mouth herself and what she told her ghostwriters to write. Uh, I also watched the Disappeared episode, and it's called No Exit. 
I was able to find it on YouTube. So I will also link that down below. Uh, so we're also uh, getting some clips and stuff like that to use for phone calls. Before we get into the topic though, if you have any information regarding any criminal activity or you just want to report something that doesn't feel right, you can contact Crime Stoppers. It's anonymous unless you request to be identified. And if you're in Australia, the website is www.crimestoppers.com.au or <laughs> you can report by calling 1-800-333-000. Uh, it's an independent, non-for-profit organisation. It's a global network. And if you find yourself able to donate, please do. Um, so I guess, because this is the first kind of true crime podcast, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. This is not us cashing in on a common thing that's very popular. I think you can attest to how much true crime media I consume. <laughs> um, but I like it because I feel like by watching people who navigates through trauma and adversity, we can kind of learn to handle things ourselves. And you can also say, look, someone went through something so much worse and this is how they handled it. Um, and I don't know, I feel like so much media now, whether it be fiction, well, mostly fiction, is based on stuff that happens in real life. And I'd rather just get the true story rather than, you know, someone's wishy-washy trash. Yep. Um, but like I said, I'm personally very into the true crime kind of media. And I want to do it in such a way that when we discuss or cover it, we do it in a very respectful manner to the victims. That's what I believe is of utmost importance. Yep. So, I'm not just talking shit. Um, so I guess you could say that we've already supported Tanya, we've bought her book. And let me tell you, it wasn't cheap. That's a different story. Um, so, let's kind of get into an introduction to Tanya. And please feel free to interrupt me and discuss as we go. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So, um, we're going to be talking about a lot, a lot about Tanya's mother. Her name was Nancy, and her father was called Randy. So, everyone has very similar sounding names. But they were both very young. Uh, her parents kind of, well, her grandparents, so Nancy's parents, her maternal grandparents, noticed that Randy was a kind of questionable kind of dude. Um, they picked on some signs that her mother Nancy didn't necessarily you know pick up on she missed some red flags there i guess you could say but she still ended up carrying through and marrying him he was a pretty good looking guy apparently he was very charming and he used that to conceal his dark side uh not to get down on anyone but he was unknown to known to have a drug addiction um from what i could tell all they said was hardcore drugs and he had a very violent temper which is understandable when you're coming up and off these kind of things. So, Tanya was born in 1974. Uh, her mother was Nancy, Nancy. Her mother was 19 and her father was 21. And as it turned out, uh, they ended up having Tanya. He beat her throughout her pregnancy, uh, well, being her mother, Nancy. And uh, they ended up splitting up. And ending the marriage as soon as well pretty much uh, when she came into the world and she was a young baby so that her grandmother quietly planned on moving Nancy and Tanya across the country but the night before they were supposed to leave her dad got wind of this and her um, grandparents had provided her mother with a lot of 
furniture, clothing, baby clothes specifically, and toys for Tanya. And he stole all of that. Because he thought, oh, if I take it all, they're not going to leave. So, according to Tanya, his problems with drugs drove him to break into a pharmacy to feed his habit. And then he ended up going to federal prison. Because, obviously, you're breaking into a pharmacy of all things. So, you know, what are you going to do there? So, she didn't end up seeing her dad until she was in her adolescence. Um, she had not been given a choice to see him sooner. And she wanted to, like, she... With the shit that her mother was putting her through, she thought that she could have a better life with her dad. Uh, because she describes living with her mum like living in a house of horrors. And I can't imagine... Well, I kind of can. Um, how shitty that must have been for her. And she was alone. And that's what sucks. Like, she's an only child at that point. Yeah. Which is pretty shit. So, she was very lonely. She was very mis- miserable. So was her mother. And um, apparently different men were coming through the house. There were nightly parties. Drugs and alcohol were being consumed right there in front of young Nancy's fa- young Tanya's face by her mother, Nancy. And her mother sometimes um, hosted them. Sometimes her mother was passed out and people were still partying around. Other times she uh, ended up leaving Tanya at home going to these men's houses and she would actually lock her in the house and when I say that to people like my mother used to do that to me and then people would be like you know that's fucked because what if there was a fire what if you needed to get out that is pretty shit like what's gonna happen um and then you realise that that's a term of like that's a form of control um so it's really interesting psychologically to look at that there was never enough food in the house for her. She says that my whole childhood was about starvation. Uh, her diet, listen to this, consisted of Fruit Loops, Pop Tarts, chili, and rice. That's pretty shit. That's, there's no nutritional value <coughs> that at all. None whatsoever. And that plays a big part into her when she grows up and she actually has a choice. Great. So um, her grandmother used to, when she was lucky enough to go visit her and spend time with her grandparents, they actually gave her money for doing chores. So she built up a little bit of an allowance bank and she used that money to buy herself some good food, which, good on her, smart girl, bloody priorities. If it was anyone else, they'd be getting to the cigarettes and the alcohol too. Yeah. Legit, you know. But, yeah, Pop-Tarts. What so a joke. She says that her mother gave her dirty look, looks if she came out when her boyfriend was there or if she was having a party. So she spent a lot of time in her room with her Barbies. And when Nancy wasn't neglecting her daughter, she was physically abusing her, pulling her hair, kicking her, throwing her against the wall, and beating her with a bloody belt. What What a fucking bitch. Her mother told her that if she cried, it would make it worse for her. And um, that all of that issue came down to Tanya looking more like her dad. Right? So not subconsciously, like she physically did it. Uh, This triggered her mother brought up all of her feelings about Randy, uh, how she felt like he rejected her, all the anger she felt towards Tanya's dad got displaced onto Tanya. And she says that she blocked out a lot of it, and this comes into importance when I cover what actually happened to Tanya. So she saw her grandparents, again, these are her maternal grandparents, as a loving substitute to her parents, 
but because they traveled a lot she couldn't she couldn't rely on them to rescue her from her mother and um, you know save her from the neglect and abuse but on the weekends when she was able to see them they treated her like a princess and she describes them making her breakfast spoiling her with Barbie dolls and other indulgences but that would piss her mother off so Nancy ends up saying look if you tell your grandparents about my boyfriends coming over me partying I'll beat the shit out of you so finally she was 12 or 13 and she couldn't deal with it anymore so she finally tells her grandparents and can you imagine how strong you'd have to be to put aside that bullshit and yeah, be like really I have to tell someone really really strong and like I'm glad that they listened to her because they took her to their house uh, to her house they she showed her grandfather actually asked her to show him the belt that Jeez. his her mother used and then he took her to Child Protective Services or CPS with the belt. Uh, and they made her mother go to counselling. And then Nancy ended up calling Randy. Um, apparently he'd just gotten out of prison. He was becoming um, a painter. like So he's starting a business. And he'd recently remarried. And so because Nancy was going through all the shit with CPS, she decided that it was time to bring the dad back into the picture because she wants to make it look more stable, right? So she ends up contacting Randy out of the blue and straight away, she hasn't spoken to this guy in decade, or like a decade and a half. And she's like, oh, by the way, can you have Tanya? Because she was jealous of her parents spoiling her and providing her with love and attention, right? For the first time in her life. So she tries to off him to the dad. And if you know he beat you, what the fuck would you pass your daughter off to him anyway? Even though you're doing the exact same thing that you condemned your ex-husband for doing. Doesn't why would sense. you do the same thing? It fucking pisses me off. And then so, in her head, Tanya thinks that this is going to be brilliant because her whole life she thinks that her dad was this ideal idyllic person and she's going to have a comfortable home and a, essentially have a normal life with what she assumes to be normal parents, right? So she decides she's going to go off and live with her dad and his new startup family and she did for a year and a half. Uh, she was about 12 or 13 and she stayed there till she was 14, almost 15. So where she thought that her mum completely neglected her it was so much worse at her dad's house and everything she did was wrong uh, one day he threw a chair down tossed her on there and said look I'm gonna cut your hair off Jeez. Um, because her hair products were costing too much money that's ridiculous like bitch you already have a wife are you shaving her down like a fucking sheep too fuck you no I want my shampoo you're using shampoo too you fucking asshole this really pisses me off and this was obviously a way of him saying that he was in control. He voiced his displeasure by yelling at her quite frequently. Because her stepmom couldn't have children, her stepmom was afraid that Tanya would take her father with her when she was going back to be with Nancy in Washington. Uh, so her stepmother also would bitch and like she would lie about stuff and say, like if something broke in the house, she'd be like, oh, Tanya did it. Yeah. Well, something's wrong now. Tanya did it. So she would snoop through Tanya's diary. Like, could you imagine that? The one thing you have to to yourself, you're thinking you're getting stuff off your chest. 
it's supposed to be help with your mental health and yes. someone's just invading yeah. your private thoughts right she obviously Tanya had to go to therapy sessions because of the shit with her mother and this bitch would stand outside the door and eavesdrop or do, do whatever she could to get into the therapy sessions and then so she would go to Randy and say, this is what she was saying. This was the bad shit she said about you. And you think, you know, she thinks she's going to act like she's such a good girl. No, no, no. She's doing this, this and this. And so um, she didn't call her dad. So when she was in this one particular therapy session, she said to the camp, like the counsellor was obviously working through things with her. And the question and the topic that they were predominantly working through was why she didn't call Randy dad doesn't make sense and she was like I don't call him dad I call him Randy because whilst he's yes like my father but he wasn't around so I don't see him as a father figure and fucking the fucking stepmom goes to Randy the dad and spills that right to piss him off and so she tries to do whatever she can she's a straight A student but that still wasn't good enough for them in her 8th and ninth grades she became a top student Everyone looked up to her. She started playing the violin. She was involved in the school's drama group. Uh, but her father and stepmother restricted her from acting in school plays. Wouldn't let her go onto school trips, a, school, a specific school trip where she was supposed to go to the space shuttle. And then a year and a half of her living with these assholes, she has to go visit her mother for summer vacation. And... Her dad was so scared that she would not come back that he wouldn't let her take her clothes with her. He's like, oh, you're going to your mother's, but I'm not going to let you pack your bag. That's stupid. So she ends up going back home uh, to Washington. Her mother was acting like she was very nice. You know, everything's sorted now. Everything's going to be okay. Um, and she got sucked back into that. And she thought, well, all right, things look like they've changed. So she ended up listening to her mother and being convinced to stay in Washington. Um, apparently Nancy, in the meantime, apart, as well as for, you know going through the CPS stuff, going through the mandatory counselling, she landed a steady job as a Boeing secretary. Um, and she had a, apparently a somewhat serious car accident that she ended up getting um, a very nice settlement from. I couldn't find the value anywhere. but So that meant that they were able to move from a low rent subsidised housing area into a better apartment that was closer to the school that Tanya wanted to attend because she was such a good student. Um, so this new school, she again maintained her status as an honour student. She belonged to the Honour Society and Future Business Leaders of America group and she actually had a lot of friends. Nancy ended up not bringing guys home anymore because her daughter was now a teenager and she was jealous of her daughter and didn't want to have to compete with her. You think the normal thing was, I don't want anyone to fucking come that's a shady dude in case he does something to my daughter. Yeah. But it's like, oh no, my daughter's hotter than me. Like, what? The priorities of some people astound me. Ridiculous. So she's slowly, she being Nancy slowly starts to go downhill again um getting back into her abusive patterns she started to bite tanya throw things at her and this time tanya stood up for herself and she let people know uh she tried to stay at friends' house wherever she could once she tried to run away, run away but her friend's mother called the police to report the abuse 
And so she was stuck in this cycle of trying to escape, telling people, and nothing happening. Um, so she started to become depressed, and that's really sad and devastating, because here she is, she's trying to let people know, but no one's doing anything, right? And so, because of the stuff she's going through, she ends up um, starting to miss school, she's withdrawing from her friends, and they ended up saying to her, look, you're so depressed all the time, we feel like you're dragging us down. And we know, like, yes, the kids and the young adults, um, sorry everyone, I had a uh, bit of a coughing fit, and I need to figure out a better way to uh, record this and not be so coffee coffee. Um, but as I was saying, so her friends start tearing her down, and she continues on with life and during the 10th and first half of the 11th grade she ends up developing a relationship with a guy named Stephen and so they term each other boyfriend girlfriend they were never intimate um, but they ended up going on dates with like groups of people as normal high school kids do and having fun and then one day um, a girl who had a crush on Stephen so Tanya's boyfriend played a nasty trick on Tanya trying to split them up so she goes ahead and tells Tanya that hey you know that other guy that you have a secret crush on well he told me he wants to go out with you and then so she goads her she goes Tanya into calling this random dude and asking him out and then Stephen ends up finding out he's devastated he breaks up with Tanya refuses to talk to her and this is where her severe depression she says truly set in and then sometime during her senior year her grandparents thought it would be best if she came to live with them for a year um, between the ages of 16 to 17 so that way she is more stable especially because high school's quite important and then so she transfers to a different school and she says that this place was kind of even worse for her she went from straight A's to becoming a recluse she had to push herself to get out of bed every morning because her grandparents were growing increasingly hurt and worried. They paid for a class trip for her to visit historical sites on the east coast of the US in a bid to lift her spirits. But eventually she just ended up moving back in with her mother and she was able to miss even more school because Nancy didn't give a shit to be honest. And she just kept giving Tanya notes to excuse her absences. And around this time, she recalls going to the doctors where they took a scan of her brain and they diagnosed her with depression. And they started to prescribe her pills that she took and they made her feel weird. So she ended up going to a psychiatrist who prescribed her antidepressants. And she found that they helped her to get out of bed in the morning and to go to sleep at night. She also did a lot of cognitive work. So she went back to therapy. She was with a social worker that she was referred to years um, like during the CPS investigation. Uh, so Tanya financially depended on the state to support her treatment, but because of her depression being so severe, she felt like she was physically ill as well. And that's completely understandable. And because of this, she missed a lot of days out of school and she almost didn't graduate even though she had passing grades. Her psychology teacher really took her under his wing. Um, she had confided into him about his mother's abuse, her mother's abuse, 
and um, with his help she was able to get her diploma in June of 92 and for her graduation her, her grandparents bought her a car um, they allowed her to choose between a Honda and a new Geo Metro and so as an adult she attributes a lot of her strength um, as to only being able to rely on herself and survive you know with herself and she always said she had a lot of dark thoughts that clouded her mind and mentally she would just try and picture something else and focus on a happier place and again not to drop hints but that becomes important when we get to the actual incident and so she started school at Green River Community College and she started taking classes such as history of art she started doing tests that showed she would make a good psychologist but because she was stuck living with her absentee mother uh, and was trying to hold a job down at the same time she ended up starting to miss classes so she ends up leaving Green River to go to a different community college because this one offered a class that she had failed in high school and she wanted to retake the class because she felt so bad about it and she also took a Spanish class alongside it because she wanted to make up for what she missed in high school and Tanya wanted to finish whatever she had left unfinished because she wanted to get back on track and that's very inspirational in my personal opinion. So her dream was to go to the Uni of Washington and become a psychologist and she saw it as a way to get a deeper level of understanding of her family. But by the time she reached her late teens, her experience, her experience with men throughout her childhood and her teenage years, from her dad to her mother's boyfriends, had left her very fearful of them. And you can imagine like the one relationship she had that was someone that wasn't a family member um, pretty much broke her down as well and was part of the reason why she declined. And yes, it was a shitty move to go after a different guy, but she was goaded into it, right? So she thought that, um, I guess, that from her dad to her mother's boyfriends, she was quite scared of men. Um, and she thought that some of the experiences she had with Nancy's boyfriends were kind of sexually abusive in nature. But if so, she believes she has blocked out these memories. So in February of 93, Tanya meets Tom. Um, and this is the man that she's eventually going to marry because her name is Tanya Ryder in these notes. He was 24 and she was 18. And so she was attending her community college. She was working a telemarketing job where Tom also happened to work. And he worked one row in front of her in the office. And so one of the other girls was trying to ask him out, but he only had eyes for her. And that's really sweet. And so to discourage the other girl, he ends up passing her a note. And she hadn't even noticed him, so she was stunned. He was very nervous when they started to talk. He asked her to a party, and she remembers it. And she said um, that, what did she say? Um, it was love at first sight, and that she felt like the little child inside of him was asking her out. And then, pretty quickly, she discovers that he also didn't live in a quote-unquote good world. Um, so the party was in a really run-down apartment where two guys lived and that's not what she expected for her first date. But on their second date, he asks her to marry him and to run off in the sunset together. 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 Sorry. Um, but because he lived with his dad in the, what she viewed as a shoddy house and didn't have a car and she obviously has this thing against men, she doesn't trust them, she doesn't trust marriage. And she was kind of torn. 
but she still felt a very strong attraction to Tom. And she said that she felt very comfortable around him and liked how he made her feel. Um, So even though she says that even though he wore dirty sweatpants, he still seemed like a gentleman. Um, She was very into the way she looked and appearances were very important to her and her grandparents. And they ended up buying her a nice car, a white Honda Civic. And so she ended up being his taxi for a while. And when they'd get off work, she would go to his house that he shared with his dad. They'd hug in his driveway for hours while the chaos of their lives kind of swirled around them. And she still lived with her very aggressive, volatile mum. He lived with his very aggressive, alcoholic dad. And then after three months, they became intimate. Um, she was he, he was her first. And that's kind of like important when it gets to things down the line. Um... And then so she felt really safe enough with him and she ended up missing a week of school which is when good. she starts getting into a solid relationship with Tom. And then so her mum, who's a little rat, ends up telling her grandma that she oh guess what? She's not the little perfect princess that you think she is. And then so this for the first time means that her grandparents were turned around on her and they were absolutely furious furious and so they call her and say what are you doing with tom he's going nowhere you know we had high hopes for you but you're just like your mother you're dating these losers and so she just says look you know i like him i like the way he makes me feel but that's not good enough for them and you can understand like they just wanted to focus on school and stuff and like they're doing all this shit for her and she's not showing up to school but what are you gonna do and then so from then on they stopped, her grandparents stopped helping her pay her for school. Um, they never gave, t- forgave Tanya. And then so one night she sees Tom, they're at a party. Um, she shows up, she, when she opens the door, she sees him in the middle of doing some drugs with some people. And she freaked out. She created a big scene, she says. Um, and she says that it hit her hard when she discovered that Tom was into drugs because this obviously triggered her remind. And I don't say that disrespectfully. I mean, in terms of bringing, you know, seeing her mother go through her addictions, her dad go through his addictions. And she says that, you know, my drugs took my father away from me. I view drugs as the enemy. And with the way she was feeling about Tom, she was deeply hurt that he hadn't told her that this is what he was doing. Uh, so she broke up with him and then she ended up dating other guys and being intimate with other guys but whenever they tried almost got closer she was like look um, my heart's with Tom I'm sorry and then so this is where she brings out her rescuing nature and she thinks that you know she needs to rescue Tom from drugs and his bad friends and from his abusive dad and she's drawn to him because she has all of her abandonment issues and stuff and she thinks that she's nurturing in nature and she's going to feel that kind of spot in his life. But because they were in kind of like financially tied down being the job that they were in, um, he was, you can imagine when you're doing and you're partying a lot and doing a lot of drugs, you know, jobs aren't going to want you showing up every day. No, that's... That's ridiculous. So, and like, why would you, I don't know, just situations, I guess. So, 
he made a pact with her. Well, she made a pact with herself saying that she was never going to let alcohol or drugs become a part of her life after growing up the way she did. And she pretty much gave Tom an ultimatum and said, look, if you want to be with me, you've got to dump all that shit. And um, she told him she was going to go back to her mother's apartment and if he was serious about leaving all that shit behind, he was to go with her that night. So she goes back to her mum's and she sleeps in her car, but he never came. Just didn't show up? No. The next day he told her that the reason why he didn't come is because he needed to clean up some unfinished business and he didn't want to hurt his dad. So that makes me think like, look, I've got debts, so I've got to explain to the people that I party with who I'm not yep. partying anymore and all that shit. But I don't know. I'm not part of that life. So they end up heading to her mother's apartment. They wanted to get an apartment together, but in the interim he was going to sleep in his car. But a neighbour saw him sleeping in his car, calls the landlord who calls Tanya's mum. Jeez. So Nancy freaks the fuck out, changes all the locks, and updates her grandma with this latest bit of dirt. So they eventually move in together, and they find a cheap apartment in a pretty shoddy neighbourhood. And she said that they didn't have much furniture, but they had each other. He felt bad about the way he treated her, like being rude, not taking her on real dates, always making her come to him because she was the one with the car, blah, blah, blah. And bringing her into his pretty sordid life. Um, so pretty much she had the bed. He slept on the floor. Um, because Nancy was really angry that Tanya had left and moved on. Um, Nancy was more pissed off about the fact that now half the rent wasn't going to get paid. Because Tanya was obviously paying. Well the state had been paying for Tanya. Right? Yeah. She was also jealous of Tanya's car that her grandparents had bought her. So someone, whether it be her mother or her grandmother, had actually told the state about the car that she had, her brand new car. And then so the state cuts off payments and said, um, you know, you need to sell your car um, so she can pay for her medication. And because she didn't want to give up her car, she decides that, you know what, I would rather have the car than take my meds. Wow. So this is where she gets kind of holistic in nature. And look, it may work for some. But I'm not recommending it to anyone, right? Not that I'm a practicing doctor, but I know a fair amount about antidepressants. Yeah. Right. So she decides, look, fuck the meds. I'm going to keep the car, but I'm going to be more holistic in nature. So I'm going to eat health foods and feed myself supplements and exercise. And exercise is key, right? Exercise is important. I am going to say that. And healthy food. So Tony gets um, Tom a job. And eventually they end up both leaving. And they bounce around with several jobs between them. Uh, so he ends up getting fo construction focused jobs. Her telemarketing focused jobs. And they bust their asses until they move into a better apartment. And they lived pretty much day by day. Paycheck to paycheck. And I think we can all kind of relate to that. Where you're just trying to pay your bills and float. Um, so Tom's kind of life was similar. His parents divorced when he was a baby. Um, his mother was also an alcoholic, so his parents were quite similar. Um, when he was little, his mother actually caught his dad at a brothel. Far out. So, uh, they got home. His dad started, um, sorry, 
she, his mother, ended up getting remarried, and he was all, the stepfather was also abusive. Um, Tom would try and step in and defend his mother, but the asshole would pretty much toss him around the room, uh, and that was like very abusive as well. And then one day, Tom literally gets a chair leg from a like a leg from a table, bashes the shit out of his stepfather with it, splits his head open. And his mother called 911, and then so they pack all their shit and they left. The dude didn't die, but the incident obviously would leave scars on everyone that's there. And pretty much that's way still on Tom's psyche. So imagine how tough that must be. Really, really, really right? tough. Right? So they're pretty broken people. They have dysfunctional relationships that kind of brought them together. Jeez. And so he had the similar situations where girls would get with him because he was a good-looking guy and they just wanted to be friends and get what they wanted to get, and, but they didn't want to be in the actual relationship with Tom. And then he kind of felt like he was Tanya's knight in shining armour and he was very enamoured with her. Um, he, he felt special being with her. And so her grandparents had kind of displaced her, so now he was going to take over the role. And she was going to be his princess instead of her grandma, like her grandparents. And then that kind of inspired him to leave the drugs and the shit behind. And then so they continue on with their lives. And then they end up adopting a bushy Carolean bear dog who uh, Tanya actually named Lady. And she became her best friend. Um, well became Tony's best friend and then in 98 they ran off to Nevada to get married just as they promised they'd do on their second date and um, she said that she loved him but she still had trust issues because of her background um, but you know she had tested him as she said and she had con- she was convinced that he had proven his love and that she decided it was time so they ended up doing that blah 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 so after the ceremony she calls her mother her father and her grandmother she knew that no one would have come but because they didn't like tom but she at least wanted them to be excited or happy for her and then so they started to bounce around a little bit because they weren't very stable they tried moving to an area close to tom's family but his mother and little sister became aggressively competitive with tanya because you can imagine they view him as a protector and now there's a new girl you know throws the dynamic off and so they tried to stay at her well nancy's house and she nancy in one of her episodes had thrown uh tom's stuff on off the porch and so they couldn't stay there either so they decided to move back to washington uh, he started a construction, a construction business called Lazarus Sliding. Or siding. Uh, they did fairly well for five years until some homeowners took advantage of them. And then so they were worn out emotionally, physically. They closed their business and that felt like they left a void in their lives. So Tanya recalls that her late 20s and early 30s were a dark period. Not only did they lose her business, but she started to lose her health Um and she ended up losing Lady as well because Lady was just old and unwell and so she passed away and that was her best friend and we can all attest that having a pet like it's very important um, it's a family member so she ended up sliding back into depression she stopped taking care of herself and she was very focused on eating right uh, but 
that on top of the financial stuff was really dark cloud over their lives so she tried treating the depression on her own and she tried to get healthy food where she could and balancing supplements and exercise and she seemed to slowly be picking herself up off the floor and this is where it all goes to shit so i needed to explain all of that because it's going to play a very important part into the actual story of what happened on thursday the 20th of what is that september 2007 where tanya goes missing from bellevue washington which is an area just out of seattle so she was heading home from work when she went missing and she had two jobs at the time one was stocking shelves in the uh, beauty department of fred meyer which was an overnight shift finishing at 9 a.m on this thursday morning and she had planned to head home for a few hours sleep before heading to Bellevue to start her shift at her second job, which is in the fitting room department, sorry, at a department store. And so everyone knows that she's very dedicated, she's very respectful, she never missed a shift. In fact, she was always early. And her uh, fellow employees and managers said that, you know, you could count on her. If she said she was going to be, do if she said she was going to do something, she would do it. So um, her husband, Tom, who's 39 at this point in time, he is also balancing two jobs. He clears land for new housing developments during the day and he's a pizza delivery guy at night. And so they had this new goal after their business closed. They were going to bust their asses working crazy hours to be able to afford to build their dream house on a block that they had purchased overlooking the Puget Sound. And their theory was, look, if we put in all this hard work now, Later on in life, we're going to be able to relax and enjoy it all. So at this point, they'd been married for seven years. Whilst their personalities were very different, you know, Tom's very extroverted, confident and outspoken. She's very introverted, quiet and reserved. Everyone looking into their marriage described it as a match made in heaven. And at the point that the event happens, the couple living in a house in Maple Valley, they don't obviously have much downtime uh, they would describe each other as being ships in the night, so they only saw each other if one got home and was heading to sleep and the other one was heading out to work. So the shit kick is it was not unusual for one not to see the other for two or three days or so. So on Wednesday evening, they spent the night together. They were spent some time, they talked, watched some TV. She ends up heading off to work. But then at 9am on the Thursday morning, she clocks out from work and starts to head home along Highway 196, but she never made her home that day. So on Saturday, three days after he had last seen... So she's with him on Wednesday night, right? She goes to work. She clocks out of work on Thursday morning. Thursday goes, Friday goes. Now we're on Saturday. He's at work. He's clearing a block of land because the city required all hostile vegetation like blackberry bushes to be cleared. It's 10 a.m. and he gets a call from Tenny's department store job saying, look, we haven't seen her in two days and she's missed two shifts. What's going on? And his first thought is, look, I don't want to get into trouble. So he immediately thinks, look, maybe she's just overslept. There's no alarm to raise, but he was concerned. So he does the right thing, or does he? And he immediately starts calling her phone. He gets back into his car, but he gets her service um, provider voicemail service. He drives home 
and he starts calling for her, but she isn't home. Her car's not in the garage. 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 Sorry. And so he makes a desperate phone call to the police station, which I am going to play for you now. 
that they need to hit. So he has to drive home and then he gets on the phone with a 911 operator from the right county and he calls from the car, like I said. So now I'll play this for you. My wife is missing. My wife's name is Tanya Ryder. So he recounts the story and he adds to the fact that she was okay on the tape. She was acting on her own volition. Uh, so in the documentary I watched, uh, John Eckert, who's a sergeant at that precinct at the time, said that he was, Tom, was quite insistent that something had gone wrong in this call. And he was, the operator says to Tom, look, we don't want to file a report. You need to check the hospitals, the jails, the morgues, because we don't have, you know, anything to go on here. And so he calls everyone and everything possible. He calls all places. There's no record of her anywhere. So he calls back the operator and updates them on the fact that he has searched all these places. They have no record of her. And he begs for a second time for the operator to file a missing persons report on Tanya. Just because she's missed work, have you, did you guys have any arguments? No. Discussions? Problems? Have you checked any other family members in the area? house in Maple Valley. Have you contacted any other family members that she may go to? And talk to her family members. So again, they refuse to file a report and they advise him to contact her friends and family, even though she has had little to no contact with them recently. Nevertheless, he contacts them all, and they say, look, we haven't heard from her in months. So he calls the operator for a bloody third time and pleads with them, begs them to take a report. Instead, they decline for a third time, saying that her disappearance does not meet certain criteria to become an active case. And so these three criteria, these criteria are that she A, must be either suicidal, B, receiving help for a mental health issue, C, elderly, or D, there be suspicious circumstances surrounding her disappearance. So at this point, FMC, what are you thinking? Maybe, you know, been an accident? Do you think an accident? Yeah, maybe. I mean... At this stage, like he's... So the, my initial thought, okay, maybe he's done it. Maybe, in fact, it's just a case of... Maybe she's driven off somewhere, you know? Had an accident, gone off-road, maybe. Who knows? So you don't think it's the husband? I don't know. Something... Something's different. Like, that... The second time you hear it, like... So you said he's been calling everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's been pleading. So perhaps it's just a case of, okay, the, there's been... You know, an accident or something. Okay, thanks. And an officer would you at least take the report? Officer, some take these reports in person. She does not meet criteria for to take a missing persons report on. She is an adult. She's not been suicidal. What we're telling you is that she doesn't meet the criteria. What we're telling you is that she doesn't meet the criteria. We don't go actively searching for missing people, sir. The checkbooks are here. I'm telling you something has happened to my wife. So what do you make of that? Yeah, so obviously she's, you know, hasn't taken anything. She's following a normal routine and something's happened. So the fact she hasn't showed up to work, she had, no money has been withdrawn. If someone was driving, they'd probably be taking money out to get fuel. So nothing's happened. It's complete, you know, nothing. So something's obviously happened. Tom struggles to contain his anger. 
you're treated like, oh, well, his wife just left him, all the hell with it. How long does she have to be missing before you'll take her in for it? There is no set time. What you're telling me is unless she turns up dead, you're not going to care. So, Tom pretty much says, look, the operator tells Tom, look, you're on your own. Um, she's over 18. She's an independent adult. She can go wherever she wants without telling you. So at this point, it's four days after she was last seen. No official search has begun for her. Tom fears that the longer it takes for an investigation to start looking into his wife's whereabouts, the less likely they are to find her alive. So he contemplates going to the police station in person to beg for them to file a missing person report. But he's, you know, in his right mind to think, look, they're just going to knock me back. So he tries to force their hand, goes to the media to make it his words loud and messy. So the news station tell him, look, we require a case file number in order to run the story to avoid reporting any false information. So he begins to search for her alone. He starts driving during the night, looking for anything that might suggest she ran off the road for accidents through the open windows of people's houses in neighborhoods as he drives by just to see if he can see her inside anyone's house. He thinks maybe she's at their block of land that overlooks the Puget Sound. So uh, he, you know, maybe she's there just trying to take some time away from the stress of life. He knows he's not likely to find her there, but he drives 92 miles to be sure. So, like, what do you reckon? Yeah, so something's happened with an accident, I think. Some, she's gone. But it didn't look like anyone had run off the road. Perhaps it's just a case of, like, watching... I mean, we've watched lots of dash, like dash cams and stuff, and you can see how quickly a car can just vanish if it's in woodland. Hypothetically, if someone's just driven off, maybe... If that could be a case of or maybe she's behind something you know maybe she's pulled like driven in somewhere and maybe like she's had a stroke or something so or... you don't think that Tom's trying to cover anything up no I don't think so I think she's gone off so he's she's not at the property he calls the operator again but this time he gets a different operator operator 65 oh, operator. this time alright and then, oops, sorry, i got to skip a little bit. Just a little bit. So you reckon this guy's clean? Yeah, I reckon he's clean. What's going to happen is we're going to list her, and if someone runs her name anywhere in the, in the country, they will know that she is missing and they'll call. All right. So the King County Police finally take the report, and an operator sends an officer to get a statement from Tom. Five hours later, can we just talk about how it's five hours later? Uh, she's been missing for days, but there's a different story. Yeah. The officer rocks up at their house, and Tom doesn't even wait for the cop to get out of his car. He's, like, shotgunning information to him. He fires off all the places that he's checked. He even says, like, look, come into our house. You know, you do not need a warrant. Do it right now. Well, obviously, he's he sounds pretty damn stressed. So he, you know, finally he's got a response. So he wants, you know. It done ASAP, I yeah. guess. And so the officer asks him to wait in the driveway so that when the police do the walk through the house, he doesn't lead them into any evidence, right? And what we do know is that in cases like this, the husband is normally considered to be the primary suspect. So the officer checks to see 
if it's likely that Tanya packed a bag, if there are signs of struggle within the house, uh, if her cards, like being credit cards or whatever, wallet or anything similar are found around the house. The police already knew that Tom, um, in his initial call, said, look, look, her checkbook and all but one credit card were in the house. And then so the officer ends up walking out, telling Tom, look, it'll be a while before they can find out if an officer will take the case. So in the interim, he knows now he has a case file number, so he gets back in touch with the media and they begin to run the story. A surveillance tape shows the 33-year-old 5-foot-10-inch blonde woman getting into her car and driving away as normal as can be. Tom says there is no reason for her to run away, and now he's putting up a $25,000 reward to help find her. I called every local media outlet at this point. I so, while all of this is rolling in the news, day five of his disappearance comes. He had to go to work because he needed to keep his mind in check and felt like he needed to keep himself busy. His boss asks his colleagues to print um, print off stickers and f uh, flyers to stick around all around town. They email copies all around the place from Canada to Oregon and Utah because they're the neighboring, I guess, country because they're in Washington state. So north of that is Canada. And then south you have Oregon and what is that? East you have Utah. So these friends, his colleagues, are believed to be the people that knew the couple best and knew the kind of couple they were and the kind of people they were and they visibly saw how devastated Tom was. So back at the precinct after the case has been circulating for over 12 hours, the police decide to assign a detective to the case at 10am on Monday morning. So the weekend has come and gone. The detectives decide to start on Tanya's banking records so that, that they would, as you said, be able to track any recent activity on their accounts. So they get back to Tom and they ask him for credit card information, banking information, PIN numbers, codes, and everything. And he tells them all the information he possibly can. He describes their joint account, their checking account, uh, Tanya's Nordstrom visa, and that that was the only card that he believed she had on her at that point in time when she went missing. The whole time, he's still calling her on her phone, praying to get through to her. And then he calls another time. It goes straight to voicemail, which means that the battery had died because there was no ringing tone. And so he can't help but feel like time has run out and that the worst has come for Tanya and that she has lost her life. His phone rings and the lead detective tells him that they have tracked her bank account and that somebody is using her card. So he believes that she's out there and that she's okay. He calls the well, on the phone with the detective, he asks for details and says, well, you know, we've seen some activity on your checking account. And because Tom had not set up the checking account, he had no access to it yet. Uh, Tanya was the only person who had access and could use it. Turns out that there was a mix-up in information. It was Tom putting fuel in his car because he ran out of cash. So this means that there was no activity on any of their accounts or Tanya's and that she had not accessed anything. And like you said, we know that when you're going to run away or even start a new life somewhere, you need to have access to your money, to your savings. So Tom demands a physical search, but police insist that without a solid lead, she could be anywhere. And so he demands that they check her phone, uh, like her cell phone or mobile phone records, and 
he's absolutely disgusted that they haven't even attempted to do that and try and ping her phone yet. But because of privacy laws, the mobile phone company at the time can't just hand over that information to the authorities. So to obtain the records, a warrant needs to be filed. But because they were located in the state of Washington, uh, you need to have probable cause that a crime has been committed. But we know at this time they didn't have probable cause, you know, she didn't meet the criteria. So uh, Tom pretty much ends up breaking down. He, like, I can't imagine the nightmare that he was living at this point when you really think about it. And it, from this point on, it starts to get worse for Tom because, and this is like a really shady, but well, I guess she thought she was doing the right thing, but Tom, Tanya's boss at Fred Meyer calls the police and voices her opinions and doubts about Tom. Great. So I'm going to play that phone call now. Calls police to voice doubts about him. This is calling from the Delphi Fred Meyer store because I wanted to get some information for somebody because one of my employees is missing. Um, something's not right with this guy's story. And I just need to let somebody know that something's not right with this guy's story. So then, it's day eight of Tanya's disappearance. All eyes have turned to Tom. There is no evidence. Nothing to implicate him. But Tom offers, or should I say demands, to take a lie detector test. Um, I know that Dr. Phil's not writing anything, but this I do believe him in. And I've listened to a lot of his true crime podcasts, which you can attest to. And what he very vehemently says is that these tests are not accurate. But uh, as the interview progressed, the questions begin to grind on him. He's asked, did you hurt your wife? Have you ever hurt your wife? And he begins to realise and feel like the police have made up their mind about him uh, and that they've pretty much labelled him guilty of his wife's disappearance. So on top of this, you know, friends were saying, look, he hasn't slept in days, he hasn't eaten in days, he's just under this crippling stress. And it all just started to fall into pieces around him and the last resolve that he had left. And then so outside of the interrogation room, police are trying to get Tanya's cell phone records. And then finally, a judge signs a warrant and the police are able to retrieve all of her cell phone records. And so they were able to narrow her down, her whereabouts down to a three to five mile area in um, a particular direction. It's called pie-shaped because you know how yeah. um, it's from a pinpoint, but it like broadcasts outwards. Yeah. So that was a three to five mile area direction based on her towers. And so... Sitting off the south east of that tower, we can give you the latitude longitude of that tower. So when they look at the map, uh, police find that in the area of the cell phone tower that um, they have got the details for, that her phone last pinged on the road that she has to drive to and from to get to work every single day. And so this leads the detectives to believe that she was most likely on her way home, as they saw in the footage. And so police were dispatched um, to drive down the highway and also walk up along the embankments on each side of the shoulders. And to put this into perspective, this is a massive road. This is one of the main 
highways of the state, right? And so the you know tens of thousands, tens of yeah thousands of commuters travel on this road daily. So the fire department also get in on it and they join the search for Tanya and they weren't sure. But the thing is, they have a ping, but they're like, "Are we sure that it, like it's her phone?" In terms of that, she actually has it on her. Could she or someone else have tossed it out of the car? You know, are we going to find her in the car? Are we going to find part of the car? Or are we going to just find nothing, just the phone on the side of the road, right? Or in some bushes somewhere. But then at 3.20pm... Her car is found overturned on its side, about 12 feet, so that's 3.5 metres down an embankment. And you can actually see these pictures, obviously not with of her in the ravine, but she's found in the car alive. So she's alive. It's been eight days. Which is freakishly lucky. Yeah. Um, so um, Brit from Crime Junkie actually made a map that shows the location. So if you're interested in seeing that, I would implore you to have a bit of a look. But um, she, this poor woman was literally two thirds of her way home. Right? And so she was in a terrible accident. She'd been trapped for eight days because the car the way it was positioned on its side, she'd been hanging from her seat belt. Sorry, that's right. Her airbags were deployed and she was pinned behind the wheel of the car and the steering column. And so at this same time, they found her. Tom is still being interrogated. And so another officer pulls the interrogator out, updates him. They both go and say to Tom, look, we found her. Um, she's trapped inside. And then pretty much, like, what would you do in that situation? Freak out. I'd be charging out of the the room and so um this is pretty much this news then hits all the social media well not social media but all the news outlets at the time miracle survivor a woman missing for eight days turns up alive trapped in her car thanks to her cell phone a woman who was missing for more than a week has turned up alive just as police were getting ready to question her husband about her disappearance her seatbelt suspended in her car Ryder was dehydrated but conscious so she was very carefully extracted from the car. She had access to she did not have access to food or water for eight days. And with all of her injuries she was medevaced to the nearest hospital. Her organs had begun to shut down because of de severe dehydration. She had obviously broken bones and she was at risk of losing her leg because it was busted under the steering column. And Tom was told that look, if she had been in there for a few more hours, she may not have survived at all. Um they pretty much saved they they were you know worried about trying to save her leg her leg um she was in such critical condition uh she remembers waking up seeing a nurse next to her feeling very thirsty she had no idea what had happened to her but she was reunited with tom and she was able to recognize him immediately and what came out was that she was six miles away from their home 
and he had driven past her who knows how many countless times uh, when he was, you know, trying to essentially look for his wife, trying to find her and see if she was okay. And so he felt pretty terrible about that, but ultimately, like, it's not his fault. And so he was so filled with rage, like, you know, no one did anything, and very rightly so. So... All I know is no one else should have to go through what she went through. When a simple pinging of a cell phone could have led him to her an hour. And so one week after her rescue, the Kings County Sheriff's Office held a press conference. They apologised to her, to Tom, and to the frustrations that they made Tom essentially endure. And so doctors immediately rushed to stabilise Tanya. Uh, well, actually, when I read the book, I read that Tom heard straight away because uh, one of the colleagues were, had the radio on pretty much listening for anything. And then they called Tom. And then so Tom beats her to the hospital. Jeez. And then so uh, Tanya gets there. The doctors, she was at the Harb, uh, Harborview emergency room. They rushed to a complete blood test, x-rays, CAT scans. Because she was so dehydrated, they intensively influ infused fluid in her heart because you want to get your core organs as soon as possible. Her body temperature had dropped from what is the 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit to 86.3 degrees. So they aggressively rewarmed her body. Her blood work revealed that she had too much sodium and acid in her blood because you can imagine her muscles had start to break down to essentially feed her. And that pretty much released a large amount of muscle fiber kind of compounds and proteins into her blood. And that was what had started to cause her kidneys to shut down. She was so far, in fact, she had acute kidney failure. Her lungs had leaked and she had air behind her abdominal cavity lining in the middle of her chest and in her right armpit. And she kept saying when you read her book, like she felt pain in that armpit. Yeah. Her left shoulder was dislocated. She had fractured ribs, her left clavicle and a spinal vertebra. She had a deep laceration on the left side of her forehead and it cut through her eyebrow, exposing the connective tissue sheath that covers the bone. And her seatbelt, obviously for that amount of days, had caused pressure ulcers on the side of her pelvis, her legs and her abdomen. And deep patches of dead skin had dotted her chest from uh, her chest, her abdomen, her left elbow, both hips and legs. And you can imagine that, that that's just pressure. Yeah. Um, and so neither of her legs had a pulse. And not only had she been trapped in a vehicle, but her body was crushed. She was, you know, her bones were broken. Her lungs was le were leaking and she had pretty much been wasting away. Uh, her leg muscles, nerves and blood vessels had been so severely compressed that she, they had developed compartment syndrome. And so the doc, her mother ended up rocking up to the hospital, right? And so the doctor goes to Tom and the doctor with Nancy there says, look, we have two options to remove the leg or try to uh, save it pretty much by performing a fasciotomy. And so her mother is like, just fucking cut. Well, she didn't say the F word, but she's like, just cut it off. Just get rid of the leg. And Tom knows that, you know, we know she loves exercising. Um, she lives a very healthy lifestyle that she, you know, their best bet for her, especially mentally, was to save the leg. So uh, the doctor says, look, we have a pretty much estimated 20% success rate. Um, 
And if they didn't succeed, Tanya, and we know she eats only healthy foods, she exercises faithfully every day, she would lose her leg. Uh, so, sorry, I have to cough. <coughs> Tom's trying to make informed decisions. Nancy's, you know, screaming her head off. Tom has to say, look, calm down. We need to hear what the doctors have to say. We need to get all the information. Make informed decisions. And so, um, for Tom, choosing to save her leg was the determining factor. And even if there was the smallest chance of success, that, you know, it was worth risking it to make it work. And so the staff rush her into the operating room for the emergency surgery. The doctors relieve the pressure by cutting away the connective tissue covering her muscles. Uh, to reduce the amount of shock that her body would have gone through, they put her into a medically induced coma. And so she comes out and she's in the, you know, the room. And Tom sitting there just picking busted bits of uh, glass out of her hair. Her fingers and her knuckles were scabbed black. She came out with large bandages covering all of her torso, her right thigh, and her left leg from her hip to her ankle, where they just did the fasciotomy. And so he wanted to avoid news crews, um, and he walked in with his friend Jonathan out to the car uh, where they worked for Soundbuild together. And their boss, Gary, said that he was going to pay for any time off that Tom needed, and he didn't need to come back to work until Tanya was ready. Nice bloke. And so they gave him all of their vacation time. They uh, offered to help with the house in case they needed anything to be modified or done around the house. Um, Jonathan, or, like the best friend, offered Tom the condo or apartment near the hospital. So that way he's a closer... Because obviously the man needs to shower, you know, eat, shower, shave. Uh, if he needed to do that, he had a place closer to Tanya to do that. And so they decided they would keep her in a coma for a little while longer. Um, but her kidneys immediately bounced back to 100% functionality. Her leg was still in jeopardy, but it was slowly improving. He, this whole time, did not leave her side. He says that he pretty much would eat an energy bar, gulp down a coffee or a five-hour energy shot, and then he would go back to her. And he didn't want to sleep or leave her until she was out of danger. Um, so, like, good on him. Like, as much as she's the one that went through imagine trying to find all this information like trying to find her trying to you know telling you know something's wrong something doesn't feel right and feeling like i could have avoided all of this even though there's nothing he could have really done i guess and so he wanted to use the media to get the message out about what happened to tanya to make sure it never happened to anyone and he wanted to honor her survival story by making sure that such disasters didn't happen to other people and he says that he wanted to tell the world that 911 operators need to be trained to handle missing persons reports with understanding, compassion and urgency, and that police departments need to establish more effective criteria to safeguard human lives. So he had a rant, as I played for you, and then the sheriff called one of the local radio shows because people were literally flooding uh, like the media, saying like, what they this family has gone through is absolutely terrible. This woman could have died. She could lose her leg all for nothing because the sheriff department didn't do anything. So they try and curb the, you know, they do the publicity protection. And then that's why the sheriff ended up calling uh, the press conference where they apologised, essentially. Um, so they did the typical, look, 
um, it's procedure in quotation marks. Um, sorry to Tom for the poor customer service that he'd received from those who served under her command. Um, he still thought, like, look, it's worth something. He still felt vindicated and feel like he showed the sheriff that the system needed to change. Um, so one of the quotes was, it's not like we didn't take him seriously, but mounting a search after a person is missing for one day is just not practical. We don't take every missing re person report on adults. If we did, we'd be doing nothing but going after missing person reports. And it's like, that's understandable, but at the same time, you'd think that you'd be trained to prioritise certain situations where if a person has never shown any, you know, they've never run off before, um, you know that they were fine in certain footage and they're suddenly not home one day and it's been a certain amount of days and no one's heard from them, no financial thing, that people would essentially do their jobs. And then apparently some great Samaritans uh, had gone to the accident site and they searched for things of hers that had been in the ravine. So they found her social security card, a book that contained plans for the house that they were going to build on that block of property and a ton of other important papers that you just carry with you day to day. Uh, they returned them to Tanya, but they wrote a note that said, I thought you may need these. Um, and the person didn't say, or the people did not say who they were or anything like that. Um, and she says, this good Samaritan gave me part of my dream back without even leaving his or her name. So she was in the Harbourview uh, Hospital for about a month, and then her care team noted that she was always emotional and crying. So they asked the psychi a psychiatry team to evaluate her for anxiety and depression. Um, despite all of her operations, she was able to stand and transfer into a wheelchair without little help just two months into her recovery. And when you read the recovery that she described in her book, like Tom's really, he pushed her. Um, and like the doctors were like, oh, um, and stuff like, oh, you, you know, you may lose your leg. You may never be able to stand, let alone walk. And so every day she would push herself to the point where she would like fall. He would catch her, put her on the chair. They'd rest and they'd do it again the next day. And every day she got better and better. Um, because she had lost so much fat and she was a thin girl to begin with because she was so, you know, health conscious to begin with. Um, she was thin. Uh, she had bed sores which exacerbated her pain when she sat still. But she was discharged on the 23rd of December of 2007 from the hospital. And um, the car that she was in when she had an accident was a blue Honda Element that she had nicknamed Skywalker. Uh, so he asked her, look, you need a new car. What car would you like? And she said that she wanted the exact same one, but he got her a one that was one um, year newer, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so um, she actually, and the people that Ghost wrote her book for her, actually say, look, maybe that's a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome. Easily. That she did that, or maybe she wanted some sort of familiarity because she left a piece of her in that car with her. Um, so her discharge diagnosis is included trauma with multiple wounds, including open wounds on her hip, abdomen, and thigh. She had a shoulder dislocation, left wrist drop, left foot drop, DVTs, which is deep vein thrombosis, um, anxiety and depression, but more than anything, she was in an extreme amount of pain. So uh, she took 12 different medications home with her from discharge, and one of them was an antidepressant as well as significant amounts of pain medication. So she continued with physical and occupational therapy. 
and she also made um, doctors visits and when she needed to have a visiting nurse as well you can actually go on YouTube I'll put the link in the notes but she did um, a Good Morning America so like uh, interview yep. for the release of her book in 2011 and she said that the book helped her deal with the events of the crash her eight days alone and her recovery Physically, she still had wounds um, and struggled with her injuries, but she has no memory of the crash or what came after, and she thanks God for being alive. Um, so the shit thing is, is like, I couldn't find anything new, but what from what I could tell is she gets a lot of um, infections because she has, or she had these open wounds, but there wasn't any kind of update as to whether they had closed, if she had any... Um, essentially no one knows what has happened to her since yeah. if that makes sense um, in the book she dissociates, she describes dissociating a lot and you know how we said like imagining a better place and so she would imagine Lady sitting there next to her when she was in the car Yeah. Um, and being there with her so trying to cope yeah and so she, the book was one way of her not only coping with what she went through but she wanted to do it as a way to um, provide people with the means of look if indeed you want to go missing because you're trying to escape something this is how you do it yeah. but this is how the police should be able to dif- differentiate between someone who actively wants to go missing and people who are actually missing for nefarious reasons so she wanted to share her story with others so that they might know the power of faith she's very um, uh, religious I should say uh, she's a Christian and she wants to also um, change law enforcement protocols for the handling of missing person reports. And she believes that we need to balance, again, the rights of people who want to go missing to start a new life or to escape their abusers. Sorry, that was our neighbour and he's very weird. Um, I wasn't able to find any updates of her on her since her book release. Um, but if you do a little bit of hunting, you're not saying that anyone should do that. Uh, she has two addresses, one in Washington, and uh, she and Tom bought a house in 2017 in Arizona. So that's what they're doing now, I guess. Best of luck to them. Yeah, wish them all the best. I can't imagine what, you know, she went through. And reading the book, like, um, it was like fourteen ninety five because to buy the actual book, hard copy, because you know how I prefer to do that, especially for reviews and stuff, it would have been $30. Yeah. So, like, it's going to a good cause, but I'm sorry. It's, $30. Uh, so then I just went to Amazon, and you know how I had that $10 Amazon voucher? Yeah. I just used that and then paid the difference. Um, but, like, it is a very emotional book. But literally, it's very disjointed in terms of... Because she writes parts, she voices some of Tom's stuff, and then people do some voicing for her. And so it's very muddled. And so they explain her injuries when they describe the recovery. But then they also describe her injuries later on. And then half the book is um, links to missing people, websites and stuff. But some of them don't even work anymore. And so if you're going to buy the book because you want to hear more about her story, um, I just want to let people know, like, over half the book is other information not necessarily relating to Tanya and yes it's a good I guess you could say bible for like it's a good um, handbook to have 
if you needed that kind of or wanted to find out where to find that information but it's not necessarily all about Tanya's story it's yep. kind of very fuddly but you know support her and support Tom and that's it I guess um, so what do you think yeah that was really really lucky like seriously lucky and you know it's it's sad that she had to go through with that like they should have been able to just go they should have an automated system like go okay well we'll ping a, a mobile so yeah. it happens because you know it could prevent things like this taking so long but also can we just talk about eight bloody days yeah it's a joke like she no food no water for eight bloody days what a joke what an absolute joke and like not to get grotty but she was describing in the book how she was sitting there in her waist yeah she's... and you know she's she described herself as like essentially a clean a clean freak yeah we know she's a very ordered structured person and you know just mental heartbreak after mental heartbreak and animals would come at night oh, that would have been scary as and she was like oh shit like I, I must smell like prey something's yeah. gonna come and eat me that, that's just terrifying mm-hmm. absolutely terrifying yeah I thought it was a very inspiring story and yeah. I figured if we dive into true crime we want to A do it respectfully but you know yep um, there's there's nothing else like there's no GoFundMe or anything to support Tanya other than buying her book I guess yeah so which is probably if that's what people to want to do um, go for it I guess I should probably also link the Amazon for you guys um, if you feel like um, doing that so yeah it's a good way to help you know give some back so she can actually help the recovery yeah well I'd like to think that all the proceeds go like that her, she gets her money if that makes sense because it's her book yep so yeah I don't know that's awesome um is there anything I'm missing anything else no anything that's worth uh, covering no that's pretty much uh, straightforward at the moment sweet okay um I hope I covered everything I apologise that it's the first true crime podcast and it may be a bit disjointed but I don't want to just like where I can, I want to be respectful and, yep. you know, support the person or the family, whatever. So, like I said, it wasn't like me trying to cash in on, uh, you know, what I would be, I would say is a very consumable media everyone's to be a part of. I actually, like, listen to a ton of true crime yep. and watch a lot of true crime. So, I think you can attest to that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so... Yeah, whenever we go on road trips, I'm like, hey, do you want to listen to a podcast about death and missing people? And oh, I'm yeah. Like, um, I would rather not. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. Um, but if that is everything, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, I hope you're having a safe and happy 2020 thus far. Yep. This book, this book, oh, my God, this episode's coming out. Um, we're on Tuesday, so you're coming up the Sunday the 5th of December for us. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, hopefully everyone enjoys. Thank you for listening. Have Thank a safe for... and happy 2020. Yes. So uh, feel free to, well, as, you know, someone message, feel free to like and subscribe or save or download or whatever you do with a yeah. podcast. But, uh, yeah, no, share Recommend the word. to your friends. Feel free to comment. You like yes. us enough. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to set up a, eventually set up a um, Google form where you can um, essentially like write down and send to us 
what topic or case or whatever, you know, conspiracy theory you want us to cover. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it from me. Yep, that's all for me. So uh, thank you very much and uh, stay tuned till next week when yep. we have another episode Do coming Do I tell out. you what it is or no? Ah, surprise. It, it's not that much. Okay. Well. In, um, next week I think we're going to... Um, what is it? The Statue of Zeus? Statue of Zeus. Okay, seven, yes. We're going to continue with the Seven Ancient Wonders. Do you know that we still have four to go? Look, we've only covered three. Yeah. I went through, and I've been um because annoyingly, I'm still waiting for a book that I need to read for one the next um religion. I'm not going to spoil it, but the next religion slash cult story I'm going to do. Yeah, nice. But I ordered the book a month ago, and I have to keep knocking down where that specific episode topic is supposed to go because not only do I have to wait for it to be back in stock even though they have my money and book depository didn't say shit till I asked them so they have my money I have to wait for them to get the book I have to wait for them to ship the book and then I have to find time to read the 300 pages in such a way that I can concisely analyse them yeah you know so we'll get there eventually no dramas um but yeah alright so yeah thank you very much for listening uh until then Full Metal Chicken signing off with Steph Fafa. And uh, you'll hear from us next week, you yes. souls. So for all the, all the, all the Star Warsies out there, uh, <laughs> may the Force be with you. And as... also with you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and for everyone else, yeah. G'day, mate. See you around. Throw another shrimp on the barbie. Um, yeah, so next time, um, and more shenanigans from me. Whoop. So till then, we're all signing off. <laughs>